So I'm just accelerating now. And as you can hear, again, it's still really quiet. I'm gonna press the accelerator down a little bit faster so you can feel how zippy it is. And it's just, it's fun, you know? It feels like a roller coaster. And when I take people for test drives for the first time and give them the chance to put their foot on the accelerator, I am never without a smile. In fact, they call it an EV smile. An EV smile? Whoa, I want one of them. I want an electric vehicle smile. Hi, it's Andy Saunders here again, and this is So What, a podcast from Origin that questions everything you thought you knew about energy. And in this episode, I'm going car shopping. Now, in the past, I might have gone looking for a big thirsty monster that chews up the highway, a V8 muscle car with too much torque, rocker rollers, five on the floor, four exhausts, and so on. But that's not going to get me an EV smile. That's just going to get me arrested. And I don't want to get arrested. Again. So, in this episode, I'm going to get the facts about electric vehicles. Look, I'm just going to call them EVs from now on. EVs have been around for more than 100 years now. But these days, batteries are much more advanced and cheaper to make, which means more people are jumping on the EV bandwagon. Or should I say, into the EV station wagon. First off, what is an EV and how does it differ from a vehicle with an internal combustion engine? An EV is a lot different to an internal combustion engine that stores the petrol in the back of the vehicle and then powers an internal combustion car. With an EV, we have a large battery in the vehicles and the car goes through and pulls that energy from the battery and it runs an electric motor, which then propels the vehicle um, up a hill or you know, around, the, around the city streets. This is Scott Naga from Hyundai Australia. I'm the Senior Manager of Future Mobility and Government Affairs at Hyundai Motor Company Australia. Gotcha. Sounds exciting. So we go from having a couple of thousand moving parts in an internal combustion engine to having about four to six moving parts in an electric vehicle. So there's a lot less servicing, maintenance, there's zero noise. Uh, So it is a a whole different driving experience, but not dissimilar to what you're doing today when you're driving a normal car around the streets. I just wanted Scott to give us an introduction into what an EV is. We'll come back to him later on. We now know EVs are quiet and run by a battery instead of an internal combustion engine. But there's a lot more to find out, a lot more questions that I want answers to. Lucky for me, there's a company dedicated to answering questions that prospective EV owners like me might have. My name is Alina Dini. I am a sustainability and energy professional. I work as founder and CEO of Whirl, which is a company that is committed to making electric cars accessible to everyone. Before starting her company, Whirl, Alina was the 109th person to be employed at Tesla in Silicon Valley, California. And yes, Tesla as in Elon Musk. For those that do not know, Elon Musk is not an aftershave. Here's a man, a brilliant man. I mean, we have to ask, don't we? What was it like working with the main man, Elon? Yeah, look, Elon is is a personality, absolutely, but he's also the most brilliant person I've, I've ever come in contact with. I think many people would agree. So, uh, you know, with that kind of genius comes 
things that you have to adjust to. But I, I found him to be always very polite and friendly to me. And I have fond memories of my time working at the company, including the time I spent alongside him. After her time at Tesla taking people like Arnold Schwarzenegger for test drives... No, no, come on, come on, get to the Tesla. Alina moved to Queensland with her Aussie husband and banged out a PhD on clean technology customer experience with a focus on electric cars. To be fair, though, who wouldn't do this? Any questions I have about EV ownership in Oz, this CEO will set me straight. In fact, one thing I want to know is how far we can drive an EV before the battery dies and we're left stranded by the side of the road looking like a galah and we're about to start surviving on our own Tom Hanks style in Castaway. Well, son! Range is often one of the biggest issues that comes up when, when you talk about EV ownership. So once you've committed to owning one, you think, okay, I have this limited range battery. I know what that means because I have a mobile phone and a laptop and I've experienced that sort of sensation of almost being out of charge before. You know, the anxiety is overwhelming. You can't possibly put that in my car. But the reality is that we have very little, um, as a people, we have very little consciousness of how much driving we actually do on a daily basis. And I can tell you that anytime I've ever gone on a road trip, I've planned ahead. It doesn't matter whether I'm driving an EV or a petrol car. I always know where I'm going to take a break roughly um, because I want to go somewhere that's convenient to me. And I usually plan ahead by packing the things I might need. So in the case of being an EV driver, I would pack my travel charge cable just as a backup in case one of those public charging stations is occupied or inoperable. To be fair though, when I think about my daily use, it's usually just around town. Picking up the kids, dropping the kids off, picking the kids back up, dropping the kids off again, picking them up again, dropping them... (laughs) Look, I really wish they would start walking around the house by themselves. They are teenagers after all. Lazy buggers. Actually, I think they got to start taking the bus and ride their bikes for once. But the hallways are way too narrow. Anyway, I don't really do that many long-haul road trips, but I do live in a regional area. And I think what's terrific about Australia is Australia really cares about its regional residents. So we're seeing a lot of infrastructure come into some of those uh, smaller cities and thoroughfares to them to accommodate electric vehicle motoring through those locations, which is fantastic. The other thing that's really important to note is that the electricity infrastructure that you need to own and operate an EV already exists. So all it's a matter of doing is tapping into that and making sure you have access. By and large, the electricity is there, so it's just a matter of accessing it. And a third point I'll make is that we're, as a society, moving on from this sort of one-size-fits-all solution to whatever we do. What's great about an EV is whether you are you know, at a lower affordability range and you can only accommodate a second-hand car with a reduced range, that's an option for you. Or if you prefer a longer-range vehicle and you have um, the ability to purchase one that, that accommodates that bigger battery, that's available to you. So it's no longer a one-size-fits-all petrol engine car that you must drive, but there are lots and lots of products and ways to access them that can enable you to become an electric vehicle motorist if you choose. 
my advice is find someone who who owns one. So you might have a friend or a colleague or a neighbor. If you don't, you can visit our website and talk to electric vehicle owners who are available for a virtual chat. Notwithstanding that, there are lots of YouTube videos and podcasts and case studies available online where you can read through and understand what the ownership experience is like. And just really, I think, think through the mechanics of what the lifestyle change might mean for you. Because once you do, you realize that it's actually not a huge shift and there's a lot more to be gained from being an electric vehicle owner than what is perceived to be an impediment. Okay, Alina's given me a good place to start. Think about my driving habits. What's my average range distance? Find someone to hit up for a test drive. But even if I do all this, I still want to be sure that there's decent infrastructure out there, places for me to charge. It's not like I notice EV charging stations in the same way I notice petrol stations. Why is that? Power really is everywhere, and there should be no reason why you can't charge an EV anywhere you like. This is Doug McNamee. Doug is the founder and CEO of Jolt Charge. Jolt is an Australian charge point operator. We are an urban fast charging network, which operates currently the largest fast charging network in South Australia, and we're building over 500 chargers in Sydney in partnership with Ausgrid. Doug started Jolt after looking for EV charging stations close to his apartment in Sydney and finding none. Knowing that most people live along our eastern coastline within 40 kilometres of major cities, he then discovered that 85% of the trips urban dwellers make are less than 20 kilometres from their home. But there were very few urban EV charge stations. Like everybody, right? Like, I am a consumer first, and so thinking about my own consumption needs, identified a a gap in the market from a supply side, and so then started thinking about, well, what type of solution would I potentially need as as a driver and as a customer? And so from there, built on various business plans and and the like to found the company whilst I was working in my old job and, and started, you know, thinking about it more deeply from there. Doug saw a gap in the market which he filled by giving away EV charging for free. You know my favourite anything starts with free? We give out seven kilowatt hours per person per day, which is about 45 kilometres of range. So that's what we offer for free. So after which time you can buy energy. So depending on your consumption needs, you may buy more on a weekend or you may be fine with the free charge. It really just depends on how you're, you're using your car and, and what your use case is. Eventually, Jolt aims to have 5,000 EV chargers operating in urban environments. Yeah, it's a big number, but... You know, Australia needs over 35,000 DC fast chargers to reach our targets that we've set for 2030. Our chargers are fast chargers too, right? So the average charge time on our network is, I think it's 19 minutes or something like that. So we're not looking for, you know, somebody to come and spend 15 hours at one of our sites. So being able to access it conveniently is, is a really critical piece of that. Now we're seeing that dramatic growth in the number of EVs that are arriving in Australia on a monthly basis. And as a result, you know, the demand for convenient fast charging is is shifted. So, you know, I think understanding, you know, the difference between the charging speeds and their locations is probably something that is starting to become apparent. Uh, yeah, I'm always worried my phone is going to run out of juice or how fast I can charge it. So it's only natural I think about how fast or slow or convenient it might be to charge my EV. 
The charging landscape is divided into three levels. Level one, which is essentially the speed that you would charge your car at home. And so that can be AC charging that ranges from one kilowatt, you know, maybe through to about seven kilowatt hours. The charging speeds that you would get on that could be, again, depending on the size of your battery, but it might be eight hours through to maybe 12 or 15 hours from zero to 100. You then move into what they call level two. So level two charging is, you know, traditionally also being called destination charging, and that's these faster AC charging speeds. And again, depending on the type of car you've got, you will have, you know, charging speeds that will vary from, you know, maybe four to five hours through to eight hours or something like that. AC, that's the kind of power you get from a socket at home. Eight to 10 hours of charging is fine and all, but before you get too thunderstruck by what's happening here, the real key to unlocking that highway to hell is what's called DC, direct current. Which is when we start and see a more efficient transfer of electrons. So the grid runs on AC, the batteries in the car all run on DC. So when you start and get to those DC fast charging levels, you start and have energy which is coming into the battery which is already in the DC. It's been inverted and it's now DC. DC then allows you to increase the speed of the charge. So you see charging in what we call DC level three or fast charging starting at 25 kilowatts and it goes up to 350 kilowatts. You know, 350, I think they're calling that ultra fast charging. And then you've got fast charging and DC fast and a whole bunch of different names that kind of fall into that. But I think, you know, more broadly speaking, that division between AC and DC tends to be where we start and see that step change into fast. And that allows the car to generally take the energy more efficiently because it doesn't have to rely on the inverter, which is already in the car. That charging landscape relies on fast charging, but where are the EV charging stations? Why aren't I seeing them? Am I blind to EV stations? Do I have EV station phobia? Please, Doug, tell me! Everybody lives and uses their time in different ways. A big part of what we do at Jolt is optimise for people's time. So if you are into exercise, you might be using our chargers that are adjacent to a gym or one that's at a pool. If you are a footy fan, you might be using the ones that we've got at footy ovals. If you like to surf, you might be using our beach chargers. What we have is, I guess, a large network that we're building that is going to cater for a very large percentage of the population. And so we're finding that you know people optimize for what they want to do with their time, and that's an optimum location for them to charge. I got an email from one of our happy clients, our customers, I should say, from our brand new charger in Motorvale, which is adjacent to their favorite sushi restaurant. So they love that. And that's like the optimum you know, setup for their lifestyle and what they want to do. No wonder I wasn't noticing EV stations like I do petrol stations. They're all at footy ovals, gyms and sushi bars. I think part of the evolution with the idea of potential EV ownership is about matching behaviour with needs. It feels like we've been doing things around the wrong way. Know what I mean? We used to drive those gas guzzlers, running on empty, pulling off the highway and limp into the petrol station. But with EVs, we had the fuel in the form of charging stations located at places we like to go. So they are coming to us instead of us going to them. I like that. 
As a general rule of thumb, we like you know sites that can be accessed 24/7, um, have safe locations for people to be able to charge, you know, lighting, things like that. A lot of those things we can build in if they're not already there. But it's about creating a user experience that allows people to spend their time how they want to spend. And I guess that's one of the biggest benefits. Um, of of EV charging over you know other propulsion mechanisms is that power really is everywhere, and there should be no reason you can't charge an EV anywhere you like. It really comes down to what people do with their car and how they think about it. But at the end of the day, um, you know, understanding what you use your car for and what's that purchase actually for, I think, is going to be the the key to understand what would be best for you. That process really can unlock your perception about you know what you need your car for and how you need your car and then it gives you like the freedom to kind of think differently unlocking my perception the freedom to think differently wow okay so that's the urban environment taken care of and it's great to know what's coming but i don't live in the city in fact i live hours out of it and i don't fall into that 85% of people that live within 45 minutes of the cbd So if I'm going to unlock my perception and think differently, I need to know the experience of an EV owner living regionally, remote, out in the sticks. And I don't think they're going to be so easy to find. I'm Jim Devereaux, live in Harvey, Western Australia. Okay, that was a fair bit easier than expected. I'm uh, early 60s and uh, retired. Enjoy doing things for the community and uh, interested in sustainable energy and electric cars. Okay, mate, don't rub it in. Tim lives in Harvey, a little town of a few thousand people, smack bang between Perth and Margaret River. It's a great little community-minded town. Uh, Population actually in the town is about 6,000 people, but it's spread over a big area, taking in quite a few other towns. Very good access to Perth. It's about 150 kilometres to Perth. Tim, his wife and family landed here a few decades ago. He's a pretty knockabout bloke. He's been a plumber, dairy farmer, worked in mining and ran his own home maintenance business. And like a lot of us, he always thought he could live a little more sustainably. My parents have always been very conscious of uh, the resources and what we have in the world. And my brother studied environmental science, so he always was uh, passionate uh, care for the environment and uh, so I guess a bit of that rubbed off on me and then in more recent years I looked at solar power and uh, conserving energy and reducing our reliance on coal and looked at it for many years but then about seven years ago I put solar power on my house and uh, started to get a bit more involved and uh, making more effort I guess towards uh, cutting my reliance on fossil fuels. Okay, so Tim had an interest in renewable energy and sustainability. He threw a couple of solar panels on the roof, maybe had a compost bin out the back. A lot of us probably tick those boxes, but still, it's a massive leap to go from solar panels to jumping behind the wheel of an EV, isn't it? I researched for six or 12 months and I finally settled on Hyundai Kona Electric because living in the country, I wanted a reasonable range And although it was four times more than I'd ever spent on a car before, I worked out that I would save approximately $30,000 to $35,000 in fuel over a 10-year period, travelling about 30,000 kilometres a year. 
Okay, so that's like putting $8 to $10 back into your bank account for 3,650 consecutive days, or skimping on those lattes and chalky croissants. So I researched it for 6 or 12 months and then went ahead and purchased one and uh, never looked back. I love it. Of course you did, but do you get the range? I can travel about 400 kilometres doing 110 at highway speeds. Slower speeds, you can do 550 kilometres on a charge. So for me, I can go to Perth for a weekend, not have to worry about charging, come home and then plug it into my solar power and charge it. And um, I haven't stressed about it. There's no range anxiety. It just works. Now, I know there's EVs that have less range, that offer about 300 k's on one charge. But still, when we go on a road trip in petrol cars, we pull over for a pit stop, grab a bite, stretch the legs. Okay, so when EV drivers do that, they plug in, top up and tune out. Okay, alright, now I think I'm getting it. People just have got this mindset of they've got to get there in a hurry. And uh, we've actually quite enjoyed this stopping and taking time for lunch and having a look around a town. Depending on the town, though, I think it's a mindset thing. In fact, it's starting to feel pretty zen, if you ask me. I found out Tim's Hyundai Kona cost him about $65,000, which is not very cost-effective for most of us. It's about four times more than he ever spent on a car, but the thing is, he knows it's going to pay off. After 10 years he'll have saved upwards of $35,000, if not more, because his EV hasn't guzzled 25 to 30,000 litres in petrol. This mindset thing, it's about the future being affected by the present, and there are cheaper EVs out there with more coming down the track. Failing that, we need to start investing in very long extension cords. If you can afford it, do it. I think one area where people would really benefit, people who are retiring... Putting money into an EV is a really good investment because you're paying not just for the EV, but reducing your costs into the future once you retire. I've got a lot of my friends drive big four-wheel drives, still guzzle diesel fuel, and regularly joke with me about it. Um, several of my neighbours and friends uh, ribbed me about my solar power and saying that I wasn't contributing to the poles and wires down the street. But now several of them have gone out and got bigger systems than I have and uh, are very happy with their systems and are proud to show me their phones and what their system is currently producing. So I think the fact that one person does it, it rubs off and people see that it works. Um, they're more happy to take it on board because it's some, someone else has already tried it and taken the risk. Unlike me ever, Tim's done his homework. He's researched his driving habits, took a risk, and it's already paying off. Let's swing back to Scott. Remember him from the start? What are you actually driving each day? And could you live with a battery that's a bit smaller? So understand what your driving requirements are and choose a battery that suits that. Yes, you will do longer trips a couple of times a year when we, we can get out of the house and you know, explore Australia uh, after COVID. But we can save a whole lot of money between that by buying a battery or a car that suits our needs. With Hyundai in Australia, we have hybrid vehicles on the road, 
plug-in hybrid vehicles, a full battery electric vehicles, and a couple of models of those. And we've got a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle on the road today, as well as our normal complement of internal combustion. As global emission regulations starts to impact around the world, and as we see countries, especially in Europe, looking to ban the sale of internal combustion from 2025, 2030, 2035, as a global car manufacturer, we need to be prepared to have vehicles that go into every market in the world and meet those either emission regulations or internal combustion ban. So we're working very hard to deploy a range of zero emission vehicles, uh, being electric and hydrogen fuel cell around the world now, and we're doing that here in Australia with a number of models. Now, we've got EVs on the road now, but the Ionic 5 and, and the cars to come down the track after this one, are what we really need to compete with what internal combustion is doing today and then enhance that experience, make it better. In the past, many EVs were actually modified versions of cars built to have an engine. They weren't designed to be filled with batteries, so they didn't make the best use of space. However, things are changing. We are moving to a vehicle that has got a dedicated platform, and in Hyundai we call that the e-global modular platform. So that's a platform that will be used by Hyundai, uh, and we also own Genesis and Kia. So there'll be a number of vehicles that run that platform. Uh, it will have an 800-volt battery, 350 kilowatts of energy that will be able to go into it. So we can charge a vehicle from 10% to 80% in about 18 minutes. Every five minutes you charge, it's about 100 kilometres of range in a vehicle, which is far different to what we're seeing today with electric vehicles. It can take up to 45 plus minutes to fully charge one of the high voltage um, batteries today on, on a charger. So this really moves to the fastest chargers available in the world and the fastest intake of energy into a battery of, of any cars in the world. Having a car designed from the ground up to be electric offers huge advantages, not just to the functionality of the vehicle, but also to the user experience. It is a really um, phenomenal experience, and we're going to see that from a number of manufacturers as well. You know, we're going to have some great cars here. We're doing very well against our competitors right now. We've got you know, the next generation. Actually, I wouldn't even say the next generation. I'd say we've skipped the generation. Going from what we've got now to where we're heading, the technology inside the vehicle is, is just phenomenal. What it can do and what it achieves, and the comfort, the practicality. It's like sitting in, a, in an armchair in your house. You know, it was once every couple of years while judging that a car would come along, he'd say, yep, I really, you know, this is a game changer. You know, I wouldn't hesitate spending my own money on a car. And that's a choice that people need to make themselves. Not just with any EV, whether it's ours or Nissan's or Tesla's or MG's, go to a dealership, drive one, because what we find is most people that, that put their backsides into an uh, electric vehicle don't want to get out of it. If they can live with the range of that particular vehicle they're driving and it meets their needs, um, then you know, you are the um, you've made a decision that this is going to change the way you, you do things. You don't need to go to a service station. In fact, your home becomes a service station. You can charge the vehicle up in your garage. You can use off-peak energy. If you've got solar, you can charge the cars through solar. A lot of manufacturers are moving to technology called um, vehicle-to-grid. So we've got vehicle-to-load where we can power devices and things off the vehicle. But in the future, we'll have it where you can power the house. Okay, a couple of phrases jump out at me. Vehicle to load. That means the stored energy in your EV battery being used to charge appliances like camping gear, electric bikes, coffee machines. The other was vehicle to grid. Some energy operators also call it smart charging. Now, imagine EV ownership is booming and all these EV drivers come home after work and plug their cars into the grid at the same time. Energy consumption is peaking out. So to combat that, EVs 
have visibility on the energy grid. Energy operators can see when they are plugged in. Now, to help explain vehicle to grid or smart charging further, I need to go full Jetson or get my Tron on. Hi, I'm Chow Lee, and I'm the General Manager of Corporate Strategy and E-Mobility at Origin Energy. When we reach mass adoption of EV, we might see a lot of EVs plugged into the grid at the same time, and this coincides with the peak period for the energy markets as well as the wholesale network because that's the period where your household energy consumption is also at its peak. So that's definitely the scenario that both energy retailers as well as the distribution network are trying to avoid. So it's the ability to manage the charging of these EVs to push it away from the peak periods in the wholesale energy markets and the constraint on the grid, push it away from that peak evening period into the midnight of peak period And then more importantly, into the midday period where there is excess solar in the energy system. So having a very flexible EV load that can be turned on when there is this excess renewable energy and soak that up will add value to customers' solar system because they're not being curtailed. They're actually using all of that excess energy to power their car basically for free. And then, in the future, as Scott says, we'll be using our EVs to power our homes. So that would be kind of the next evolution of smart charging that we want to really tackle is imagine like your car battery acting as a Tesla power and soaking up the solar energy that you would have had to export back into the grid or worst case being curtailed, soaking that up. And then in the evening peak period, being used to power your fridge, your aircon, your dishwasher, and basically you're getting energy for your car and your house for free. That, that would be kind of nirvana. Thanks, Chow. I can always rely on you to go full Jetson. I've gone full Jetsons, yeah. <laughs> I haven't spoken about my Jetson vision <laughs> publicly so it's it's been really good to have that conversation back on earth now picking up with scott so you can sell energy back to the grid or use energy from your car that you've picked up elsewhere um, out uh, in in the network and you power your house with that at night that's really the big game changers and what it does for people like origin and other energy um producers around Australia, it actually helps balance out the grid. So if we can help absorb energy from the grid when there's a lot of excessive wind and solar, the cars can soak up that energy. And then at night when everyone's got their TVs, the heaters and the microwave and the oven going, um, the kids have got all the TVs going with their Xboxes, uh, the cars can then dispense the energy back in the grid and help maintain that frequency in the grid. The cars enable better performance of the grid, and that's what everyone's looking for um, with EVs. Sometimes we don't even know what we're looking for, but it's staring us in the face, like my mum used to when I was naughty. In other words, she stared at me constantly, 
we need to make cars safer for the environment. And this is where zero emission vehicles come into it. Uh, and the technology that here is now is as practical and as durable as internal combustion technology. In fact, in a lot of cases, better. And what's coming next five to 10 years is, is just the next level beyond that. They'll become more efficient. They'll charge faster. The cars will perform much better than, the, than um, internal combustion. And they do that now. It's just mind-boggling to know what our engineers are working on and what other engineers are working on around the world and other factories. And competitions are great, um, a great way to innovate. You know, so there's a number of different manufacturers doing a great job here in Australia. We just want to want the whole nation just to, to step up and, and look at what's happening. If it's happening in Germany and America and the UK and Italy, Spain, you know, some of the biggest countries in the world. They're already starting the transition. Started many, many years ago. Um, let's just look at what's happening and, and jump on board. We've got great resources. Why not use our, our great renewable resources to power these vehicles of the future? I keep saying vehicles of the future. They're the vehicles of today. So imagine you've done your research, like our mate Tim over in WA. You understand your driving needs, you keep a logbook for a month and estimate how much you spend on petrol every year. And the outlay for an EV might be more money than you've spent on any car before, but from day one, instead of depreciating, this EV is saving you money into the future. You've looked at EV charging infrastructure, it's there already, and more EV stations are rolling out every day. Range anxiety is a thing of the past. Occasional road trips are not a problem. The power is there. Unlock perception. Plug in. Recharge. Yep, I know what Alina means about that EV smile. I thought my fuel-fumed smile was good, but this is great. In the next episode of So What? What if energy was all a game? Would you turn off your appliances if it meant you could get some free cash or even win a car? Um, yes, please. And so we made an app to really get consumers to change their behavior to, to create energy reductions. We were seeing Uber democratizing taxi service across the world, Airbnb democratizing hotels or lodging across the world. Why couldn't we do the exact same with energy? Join us next week for episode three. So What is the show that questions everything you thought you knew about energy and it's brought to you by Origin. Production and scripting by the team at Lawson Media. If you're keen to know more about Origin's approach to powering the EV space, check out some of the resources I've left in the episode show notes. You can learn more about the podcast and listen to other episodes at originenergy.com.au forward slash so what or just hit subscribe in the podcast app you're in right now. I've been Andy Saunders. I'll be back in the next episode.